Hi, welcome back to another episode of the FM Channel podcast. My name is Claudio Rojas. I'm one of the, uh, the co-owners and founders uh, and senior recruiters at Alex Young Recruitment. Uh, today, I'm joined by Aidan Bell, who is the, uh, uh, the COO at uh, ISS Facility Services UK. Welcome to the show, Aidan. Thanks, Claudio. Cool. Uh, so just as a, an intro to anybody who hasn't tuned in before, uh, basically, I'm doing the, the podcast is about um, meeting and interviewing people, FM professionals from the industry uh, at different levels, from different companies, uh, different backgrounds in order to hear their story, how they got into FM, what they love about the industry, what they might not like about the industry, uh, in a bit to basically inspire other people within the sector. So, so we'll crack on. Um, Aidan, so before we go back to the beginning of how you got into the industry, um, could you just give an intro, give us an intro into what you do now and who you do it for? Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you. Um, I'm the Chief Operating Officer for ISS in the UK and Ireland. Uh, I look after the private sector part of our business, so the, the, the business is split in a couple of ways, but um, I look after primarily the private sector, the key accounts, uh, responsible for business across UK and Ireland, um, customers like Royal Bank of Scotland, Aviva Insurance. Um, about 14,000 employees, turnover of just over half a billion pounds. Uh, so, you know, wide portfolio, um, interesting portfolio. And, and of course, over the last six, nine months, a really interesting time for everybody. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and how's it, um, how's it looking now moving forward? Have you got, uh, are you guys back in the office now or is it kind of still working from home 50-50? Yeah, how's, how's the head office looking? Yeah, it's a bit of both. We, we've opened um, the majority of our offices, offices up and down the UK, um, and we are we've got a booking system. So you know, if you want to go to one of the offices, you book in, and, and, yeah. and we're encouraging people to go to where they're based if they want to. Don't have mm. to, but giving people the opportunity um, to come to the office to, to collaborate with with teams in, in you know socially distance, and every meeting room has a capacity sure. to it. Uh, also to give people the opportunity to get out of working from home and, and out of our spare bedrooms, out of our kitchen, dining room tables, to, to go back to the office if they want to. So yeah. I myself, I, I'm primarily based in Canary Wharf, so I've been going out there one or two days a week for the last four or six weeks. Uh, Velocity, our HQ in Weybridge is open, so I, I've been out there a couple of times. And I was in Birmingham yesterday with our team up there, our, our commercial team. So it's quite nice to, to go and physically see people again. And you yeah, can't yeah. forget it's a people industry, and we're used to seeing people... Uh, daily and having those water cooler conversations, coffee machine conversations that are a little bit more difficult to to engage and have um, when you have to book a Zoom call. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think Zoom has been great for everybody, hasn't it? But I think yeah, there's there's the, the little conversations that you have with your colleagues just over the desk and uh, in in the kitchen area that you know they they're all out the window, aren't they? So it's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's much more difficult then. And and the little anecdotes that you pick up, the little yeah. opportunities, you, you kind of miss out on those. And uh, I think people want to get back to that. It, it was all very interesting for the first couple of months because it's, you know, somebody asked me at one point, um, what do we do now? And I said, I don't know. It's my first global pandemic. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're kind of making it up as we go along. And, and that's what it was. And I think, you know, the, fur <clears throat> excuse me, the impact of the furlough scheme, uh, the COVID safe environments, frontline workers, key workers, using public transport, all of the things we had to, we had to readdress and, and what we took as natural before and, and just, you know, the obvious thing to do, we really had to consider and work our way through it. Um, and I think that kept us all occupied and, and kept us perhaps even interested. 
Um, but now it's a point of actually, okay, so what does innovation look like in this current environment? What does the future look like? Um, how do we get our teams to collaborate better? So I think there's a combination of, of getting people into the office in smaller groups. And you know, I had a team meeting with my guys on, on Monday of this week and half of us went to the office, so seven in the, in the boardroom in, in Velocity, which is socially distant. And then the other seven dialed in and actually worked very well. So we, we kind of rotate that month on month so that we can get people into the office and people from home and, and you kind of feel that connection. Absolutely. I think people are ready for it now, aren't we? We're all ready yeah, to, to You can yeah. feel it's getting a bit tense now. Cool. Great. So that's that's you now. So let's let's go back to the beginning then, if you if you could. Um, how did you get into the industry? Where did it start for you? <laughs> Um, by accident, I suppose, is probably like most people of my generation <laughs> in, into FM. Um, I grew up in Southern Ireland and did my Leaving Cert, which is, is the A-level equivalent in Ireland, and um, was offered a place to study economics at University College Dublin. And uh, I'm the, uh, the eldest of, of four children, so, you know, mum and, mom and dad were quite happy and proud of me heading off to university, and, and I kind of thought, this isn't for me. Right. So I, I applied for and got an electrical apprenticeship with the Electricity Supply Board in Ireland uh, and did four incredible years as a real hands-on yeah. electrical apprenticeship, worked on everything from uh, domestic installations right up to 400,000 volts uh, on the network and the grid across Ireland. And so that was you, sorry, fantastic. Did, sorry, did you, to interrupt, did you, did you start uni and then say it wasn't for you no, or did you kind no, of get the place no. and then decide I'm not going to go? Uh, yeah, I got the place and, and, and knew in my heart of hearts that it just wasn't for me. It wasn't something that you know whilst i enjoyed school and education to a degree it wasn't something i was committed to and, and, and i mm. kind of wanted to get on and um do something different and, and, and took the electoral apprenticeship which was you know without in hindsight it was absolutely the best thing i've ever done it, it really um gave me you know i was very fortunate the company that I, I did my apprenticeship with gave you a real academic grounding but also a very practical grounding so it gave you yeah. a, a bit of everything and and you got some business exposure as well so you weren't just wearing houses or, or, or doing, you know, air switch, air brake switches in a high voltage substation, you actually had to understand what the business was about. And okay. the guy I worked for at the time was really brilliant at kind of telling me what was going on, you know, the, the P&L and, and stuff like that, that, that as a normal apprentice, you, you perhaps wouldn't get that exposure to. No, absolutely. That's, that's fantastic. That's the first time I've heard of that, actually. I mean, a lot of kind of your classic apprenticeships that I speak to people about who many people that do have done them will always rave about the person that was the lead engineer or the chief engineer that yeah. kind of showed them what to do but uh, i've never spoke to anybody that's done uh who had the business side of it as well that's really yeah that's, and you know, I, think, I, I think yeah i think i was just very fortunate the you know the um the electricity supply board so so the national grid in ireland as it was then um they had a different perspective huge organization mm. you know state-owned type of thing and um the, the guy that I worked for with, he, he kind of nurtured me for want of a better expression. He gave me exposure to stuff that I wouldn't normally see and you would normally see in an, in an apprenticeship. And I kind of soaked it up, I suppose, having, you know, my, my, you know, six months prior to starting, I was going to do an economics degree in university. So I had an interest in, in business yeah. and accounting and, and, and how it all worked. And if you ask the right questions of the right person and, and they'll give you insight and you kind of, you know, I always say behave like a toddler, keep asking why and you, you, you get to understand it. Yeah. So how long did you stay there for then after your four-year apprenticeship? Did you kind of move on from there or did you stay there for a, for a while? Yeah, I stayed there for about a year after I qualified. Um, I, I kind of, the, the apprenticeship in Ireland, you move around different parts of the country for, to get different exposures, different sites and, and different um, disciplines within in, in the industry. 
Mm. And then I got a job back in my hometown, um, kind of 21, moved home and um, got a, a job as what was called an area electrician. So, so dealing with domestic installations, uh, small commercial installations, and then pretty much up to 10, 20,000 kV local distribution networks. But 21, I was in the town I grew up in. You, you got kind of bored pretty quick, if I'm honest. Yeah. It wasn't really for me. And I had a um, uh, first cousin of mine had a very small electrical company in, in Bristol. And uh, he got his first big job and he needed another electrician to go and, and, and work on the building side. Great. So I, I kind of packed my bag and, and came to England for uh, three months, uh, mm-hmm. 24 years ago. <laughs> I'm still here. So it was one of those ones that I was kind of going to just do a bit of traveling, you know, use my electrical apprenticeship and, and kind of came to, to, to England, worked on the building sites around Bristol and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was quite interesting. So um stayed and um kind of built a career out from there so it's kind of uh, i've done a, a talk internally a couple of times from you know from building site to boardroom as to, to how that's happened and i, I suppose one I, i'm naturally inquisitive um i also have come from you know my father's famous saying or favorite saying was knowledge is no burden so i like to learn things and inquire about stuff and i got a couple of opportunities from the building sites um I left the, the, the small company that my, my cousin ran, joined another company. Uh, the owner of the company had some health issues and he asked me to kind of look after things whilst he was having some surgery. He came back and, and as he said himself, the company's in better shape now than it was when I left. So kind of keep right. doing it. And that was my first MD's job at 26. Mm-hmm. And kind of just went from there and, and kind of thoroughly enjoyed having the ability and the understanding of what happens on site. So to run an m installation company, I kind of knew what was going on in the ground, but I also had a, a fair understanding of, of business and the requirements to make a business successful. Yeah. And, but it was during that time, I, you know, I really learned that cash is king at that point. And, mm-hmm. you know, they say turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, but cash is king. And yeah, I think yeah. at that point, that, that became ingrained in me and, and 20, 22 years later, um, mm-hmm. I think I still say that on a weekly basis because it, it, it's that important in the businesses that we run. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, cool. So, when did you? So, from there, you ran the uh, the in-store business for, for for the for the chap who kind of obviously was uh, was not well for a while. Um, when did you kind of go into the indoors, into the, into the maintenance side of things, then into FM and maintenance? Yeah, with with that company, we we, we worked um, a lot for Wolverhampton Dudley Breweries at the time, which is now Pathfinder, I think it's yeah. called, um, and. Um, we started doing uh, extraction fan maintenance, emergency light maintenance, and, and you know, that, that kind of electrical maintenance, path testing, that type of thing for them. Um, we then, I, I moved companies uh, at that point uh, and joined another organization that wanted to build a, um, a private sector FM business. And, and, mm. and kind of, we, we went from hard services then, expanded out into to soft and ancillary services. And I think that was where I got a real grounding into FM and a real understanding of the impact of um, what we do. But, but at that point, it was a cost line for most organizations that we were working with. It was something that they had to have done. Uh, and it was probably not until I joined Balfour BT that I realized that what we do can have a significant impact on employee engagement, employee productivity, and therefore the profitability of the, of the client that you work with. I think that's where it really became very interesting for me at that point. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Cool. And so, should you tell me a little bit about your your time at uh, at Balfour Beatty? I think that's my, that might be the first time that I um I met you actually, or, or uh, 
uh, some dealings with you, or maybe after yeah. that, actually. Uh, yeah, but, um, perhaps at that point, I think it was. So that would have been, I joined um, Balfour BT in about 2002, um, mm. business development, working for a guy called Steve Gibbs. Uh, really interesting, you know, um, some larger scale opportunities. Um, came became national sales director there for a number of years. Uh, again, the private sector business kind of kind of what I've done most of my career. Thoroughly enjoyed that and and, and learned from it. Uh, Balfour Beatty then bought Covian uh, in um, in Reading, mm-hmm. and Kevin Craven put me in as MD to the post acquisition integration, which was quite an interesting experience. You know, to take a PE backed or in business and bring it into a large corporate. Um, so yeah, so I worked on everything from the Emirates Stadium to the Northern Ireland Civil Services State uh, to Britvic um, to to Logica, you know, across Balfour So so fantastic clients, a wide range of requirements and services and and expected outcomes. So I learned a lot and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Great stuff. Um, how and just tell me how you how, how do you feel the industry's kind of changed. From when you kind of worked, for example, at Balfour Beatty to, to where we are now, um, how has it changed for the better or the worse in, in, some, in some instances, maybe, would you say, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's a really interesting question because having had, you know, perhaps 20 years in it now, mm. when, we, when we started, it was a cost line. You know, something had to get done. It was, it, a lot of times it was first generation outsourcing. So, you know, there was some profit in it, that there was some real opportunity. Mm. Um, I, I think the industry allowed itself to become commoditized for a period of time. And mm. I think we, we kind of, I won't say there was a race to the bottom, but there certainly was, you know, costing and margin became something that became very tight and very topical. And, yeah. and you know, customers became more intelligent and therefore, you know, allowed us to, 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 to price ourselves to a, to a lower margin. Yeah. I think then, you know, now and, and laterally over the last couple of years, I think people are seeing the benefit that we can bring that we're not a cost line um, that, you know, FM done correctly can have some significant benefits to employee productivity, employee engagement, being the, um, the, the employer of choice for, for the organizations we provide that service. Into. And then, you know, laterally in, 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 you know, post COVID and once we're not post COVID yet, um, I think people are really seeing the value of frontline. People are genuinely now seeing that our cleaning teams, our security teams, our reception teams are key workers. Mm. and actually provide an incredibly valuable service and instead of walking past the cleaning team or the security guard they're actually recognizing that they were the ones that were there throughout the lockdown they were the ones that kept buildings and organizations running yeah. and i think we, we've kind of cycled back to that and i think what's really important for for the industry generally is that we we retain the education we've got in the last six months and that we retain the importance of that frontline team yeah. And, you know, I've always said to, to people who work with me that nobody ever raised an invoice for my time, but we do for the cleaning team, we do for the security team. So, so our job is to, to enable them to make their mm-hmm. lives better, smarter, faster, whatever it might be. So mm-hmm. we, we've got to focus on that. So I think the, the industry has, hasn't been great initially, but I think we've professionalized ourselves and really started to show benefit and hopefully we'll continue to expand as we go forward. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this, this, like these last few months, because of the, Obviously, the pandemic has definitely put a, the, the spotlight on on facilities management. You know, uh, in, in many respects, I think like FM's always kind of been in the in the background or in the basement or on the roof or whatever. And you know, it's kind of it's the service that's there that people don't really know is there, or until they want to complain about something or, or something doesn't work. Or, 
so so yeah i think that in many ways there are benefits that fm has is now in the in the spotlight a little bit and hopefully that might attract people new into the industry maybe you know yeah and i think you know there's a couple of bits on that in, in terms of five or six years ago you know we thought fm done well wasn't seen it was all mm. done in the back exactly as you said yeah we, we cleaned really early in the morning when there was nobody in the buildings and everything else was done in the basement or in the roof and, and you didn't interfere i think now people are seeing the value you know if you think of you know air quality they want to see the engineers maintaining the air handling units they want to understand you know why the windows can't be open when the air conditions on those kind of things you can have an engaged conversation with the consumer of the service yeah so i think that's really important that that we do that as well um i think it's also become quite an an, an, an inter interesting industry in that people are going well that, that that's a bit different you know and i often say to people you know i've been on a an oil platform in the north sea i've stood on top of a nuclear reactor i've been to google's hq in california and i've been to the largest shipyard in the world in south korea all through fm yeah so it's the world is your oyster if you want to you know that there is some fantastic fm opportunities and to bring if somebody is interested in, in, in running a building, running a team, seeing the world, I, I think the opportunity is there. And, you know, I myself have, have been fortunate enough to travel the world because of FM and seen some yeah. incredible things. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've, a lot of the people that I've spoken to over the years um, within, within recruiting within FM um, and on, on this podcast as well, I think lots of people have fallen into FM in, in some way, um, but carved their own their own kind of way, their own career out. Once they realise that actually, if I apply myself, I can I can make my, something of myself within within this industry, and and it doesn't matter where you start, whether it was kind of as an electrician or a cleaner or an administrator. I think you can yeah. you can really you can really make it's a great industry to work in. I think, and I think that's part of the reason for me doing this is to just to help inspire other people within the sector who might be new within the sector as well. You know, and, and open their eyes, I guess, to. Um, uh, to what's potentially out there and where yeah. people have come from and how they, how they got there. Um, what, what is your, your, your take on um, technology within, within the sector? Um, are ISAs kind of, I've been, from conversations I've been having, um, tech's obviously making a, an appearance, it's becoming more and more used, what, what talked about, definitely talked about, maybe not used as much as it, as it could be. Um, so I'm saying that the industry is not moving quick enough to, um, what is your take on or the company's take on, on, uh, on technology within the FM and property sector? So, so it, before I kind of comment on what ISS is doing, you know, yeah. my, my view on the industry generally is that we've been, we've been late to the party. You know, we, we've not, mm. we've not grasped um, technology as quickly as we could. And, and, you know, part of the argument is that we're a low single digit, um, margin industry so, yeah. so therefore the ability to reinvest in cutting edge technology and or expensive r&d just just wasn't there yeah so, so we've had to 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 grasp what, what's available but then you know you've got you know great products like um maximo concept who are building you know great CAFM systems with fantastic user apps that we can get to and then the availability of the api development that our, our, our tech guys can do so i think we're getting much much better at it Mm. I think the industry is great to collect data. Yeah. But we know what to do with it yet. Uh, mm. So in some cases, we're doing some fantastic things with data, but other parts of it, we're kind of presenting loads of data to people and going, and, you know, the so what question. 
um, we're not really answering or we're only starting to answer in the last three or four years. Um, with ISS, I, I think there's there's a couple of things we're doing. You know, we have a, a partnership with, with IBM and Tririga, so we, we use that product uh, globally and, and, and works incredibly well for us. Um, we then got a number of, of applications that we've developed, be it engineer interface applications or workplace uh, applications, you know, on, on smartphones that we're using. And something that we're spending a lot of time now is on RPA, so robotic process automation, so bots in effect, so using using bots to do repetitive behind the scenes data entry and data transfer. Right, and okay. That's something that, you know, for me, if we've got contract administrators, contract managers, site managers, spending time in front of computers, inputting data, there's no value in that. So mm -hmm. what I want to do is to use these bots, the RPA, to do that repetitive stuff so that our site teams can get more time with their employees and with their customers. Wow. And, and that's ultimately where, where it's important. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Engage, your, engage your employee and delight your customer. And you can't do that from behind the screen. So, so I think the RPA is a great way of um, taking some of that repetitive stuff that we just have to do. You, you, you have mm. to do data entry in what we do. Yeah, yeah, sure. So is that something that you guys, is that being introduced now, is it? Or is that kind of? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a number of um, RPA trials and developments underway. Mm. And, um, and and very successfully, you know, and, and it's it's the repetitive taking data from one of our systems into a customer system, so you can automate that, and an individual then doesn't have to do it. And and we've been really clear, this isn't about headcount reduction. This isn't about yeah. removing overhead. This is about efficiency. This is about ensuring our frontline teams have more time to spend with their teams and with their customers. Because ultimately, that's where the values is derived from. Mm, yeah. That's awesome. That's really good. Um, I was talking to um, to uh, Todd Harrison um, in the last podcast. I'm not sure if you saw that episode. Um, well, to be fair, it's got released just today. Um, but he was saying that, uh, that the word technology um, kind of scares a lot of people as well. There's a lot of tech out there that um, it doesn't necessarily need, need to mean losing headcounts and it kind of scare the clients and I think that we can be a little bit afraid of technology when actually it's just kind of using it to, to tweak contracts here and there which will kind of reduce costs uh, for the client, increase margins for the contractors and it's great. Um, it's just a case of introducing it I think a bit one slowly but surely kind of method. Yeah, you know, I, I'd agree. And, you know, it's similar to the word innovation, isn't it? You know, we, we talk about innovation doesn't have to be flying cars. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, robots cleaning car parts. Well, this is it. Yeah, and, and, you know, innovation can be something really, really small and, and that makes a difference because it's something different on a side. And I think technology is the same. You know, we kind of think that if you introduce technology in inverted commas, it, it's something fantastic that will do something completely different. But ultimately, we have to provide a cleaning service, a security service, an engineering service. You can't replace any of that with technology. What you can do is enable it. You can do data transfer, data collection, um, you know, real-time information on, on job completions. Uh, you can give surety of completion. You can, you know, there's lots of stuff you can do with technology that mm. isn't groundbreaking per se, but actually is making us more efficient. So I think we just have to be careful in, in use of the word or the definition of the word. And innovation is very similar for me. The definition of innovation is so broad. That yeah. we kind of shy away from it sometimes, or people think, "Well, why isn't it flying cars?" And that that just isn't it, you know. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so just to finish off, nearly, um, what would you anybody entering the the FM and maintenance industry now? What would your what would your advice be to somebody who's kind of maybe 
yeah, just entering the, the, the sector where you were, you know, 20 odd years ago. Yeah, it, you know, for me, it's more professionalised now. So, so the opportunity mm -hmm. to do some professional qualifications in FM is really, really important. That that kind of gives you a really detailed background. So, the different levels within BIFM or something like that is really, really important. You know, okay. I'm a fellow of the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors myself, and I've spent some time educating myself there. I think that's really important because it gives you the the statutory compliance understanding that you need. That perhaps, you know, we kind of had to learn as we went along because it wasn't structured at that time. So, I think that's really important. And the second bit is to continue to be curious because we cover such a breadth of stuff. You know, if you think about from the front front doors of a, a skyscraper in London and you provide an IFM service within there, there's so much that you can do. So to, to be curious, to, to get an understanding of how it works. I think the other piece that a lot of people forget is, is the, the customer interaction, the customer relationship. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we are a service industry and we have to do that. And what I love to see is engineers, cleaning teams that, you know, the consumer of the service, the person at a desk in a, in a bank or an insurance company, to tell them that you're, you're coming to do whatever you're going to do, why they're coming to do it, and ask them, is there anything else you can help them with? And that interaction that historically, I don't think the engineering teams did, the, the cleaning teams weren't seen. Mm -hmm. we, we need to be very, very aware of customer service and the impact yeah. that we can have. And, and not be afraid of that, not be afraid to, to interact with the consumer of the service. So I think encouraging that. So, you know, there, and for me, it's about, about being inquisitive. It's about wondering mm -hmm. why and, and how you can do it better and, and, and trying to trying to see what can be done differently to make it better. And that, you know, that, that continuous improvement, betterment, whatever you want to call it, is, is, is key. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Listen, Abe, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. I really appreciate your time. I know you're, you're a busy man. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll call it a day there. Um, but uh, listen, thank you very much for your time and uh, we'll get very this welcome, released Claudia. and uh, hopefully uh, inspire a few people along the way. Great. Thanks, Claudia. Take nice care. One. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.